from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking all about consumer reports, how it tests its cars, and what it's found from those tests. And the reason we're doing that is my special guest today is Jake Fisher, the director of automotive testing at Consumer Reports. Great having you on the show here, Jake. Glad to be here. Also joining us today are Joe White from the Wall Street Journal and Brent Snavely from the Detroit Free Press. And great having the both of you here, too. Glad to be here, John. So, Jake, you know, you guys test all different kinds of cars, but one of the big findings that came out of this year's survey is infotainment systems. People have a love-hate relationship with them. Sure. Tell us a little bit about your findings in that, and, and especially how do you go about testing these different infotainment systems? Sure, absolutely. So there's a couple of different pieces of the puzzle, right? So in terms of infotainment, there's our tests of that, which we do out in Connecticut and at our track, and we do a lot of ergonomic testing of that. And you've probably heard a lot about what we talk about, you know, in terms of complicated to use, and some of these times are very distracting. But what we're talking about today is about the survey. So we have an annual survey of over a million people, and we're asking people, not do you like these systems, not do you understand how to use them, but did they break, specifically if they broke. And we're telling you, we're actually getting information about all different problems with cars. And when you look at cars today, the overwhelming problem we're having with these cars, the biggest problem area is these infotainment systems. It's not the engines, it's not the transmissions, it's not the mechanical systems, because the auto manufacturers, they understand how to make these parts. They've been doing it for a very long time. It's that, it's that iPad that they kind of crush into the dashboard. They're having a lot of problems with these. Well, yeah, you're right. Is, and, and I think John mentioned this. It is a, is a love-hate relationship. And I'm interested in, in, in a little bit of how you unbundle the it's hard to use from it simply isn't working as designed. Because I think for a lot of lay people and consumers, it's hard to it's hard to disaggregate that. It's kind of all in one big bundle. How, I mean, how do you do that? How do you separate true malfunction from poor design? Sure, great question. So, I mean, when we ask people, we specifically ask, did it not function? Is this a serious problem that you had to return to the dealership with? And, you know, we honestly had some concerns whether or not people were like, it's working, you just didn't really understand it. So we actually did a very large recontact survey. So of those million plus people, we actually could recontact many of them through email and give them additional questions. So we asked them specifically that question. We said, okay, let's tell, tell us, me about your problem. Did you not understand how to get it? Did it, or was it something your, your dealer was able to fix with an update? And for, it was unbelievable to us that all of these issues were actually things breaking. So the list of problems with these are problems. Screen went off. Mm-hmm. Had to update at the dealership. Had to reboot the system, which, you know, turn the engine off and turn it back on. Would not respond to the Dutch crane. Um, it would drop the pairing of the phone. The list goes on and on. But it really isn't not understanding. And we really started diving even deeper into it. And we had this kind of hypothesis that, you know, maybe the older drivers were not understanding the systems. What it turns out was the younger the, pe- the respondents were, the more likely they were complaining about the systems and finding problems. You know why? They were using them. They were using, they were pairing the smartphone to it. They were streaming Pandora. They were using the Spotify app. Whereas the older drivers, well, maybe the radio was working okay, but the younger drivers were finding these issues that the older drivers weren't. So it's the, the equivalent of the VCR that's always on 12.01 midnight. <laughs> there's, there's no problem with that. <laughs> Is there a little bit of a silver lining, though? Because um, it looked like 
with your study you found that the biggest problems are with brand new systems, but yes. that there is a rapid improvement. The automakers figure out how to make fixes pretty quickly. That's with exactly with right. their troubled systems. That's exactly right. It's a learning curve. So you introduce a new system, and um, yeah, there could be a lot of problems with it. But in subsequent years, and my Ford Touch is a great example, in <clears throat> the second year out there, they seem to have cut the problems almost to half. And the third year, they're cutting them even further. It's those initial entries. So at Infinity System, Infinity Q50, they launched with this new in-touch system, and it's the worst we've seen. Um, in his first year, we see more problems with that system than my Ford Touch and my Lincoln Touch ever had. But they were a little smart about it. They didn't go across the board with the system. One car. So let's figure out how to do it, and hopefully they'll get some bugs worked out of it before they start spreading it through the lineup. So, so again, just, so the Q50 system scored poorly because it was defective, essentially. Yes. Not yes. because it's poorly designed, although you may think it's also, you may think it's poorly designed, I don't know. Uh, I do think it's poorly designed. Okay, so, it is, so it's poorly designed from your point of view. That's, that's over here in this bucket. And, and my Ford Touch, which you, know, you and others have been very critical of over the yes. years. Um, so, but, so let me go back to my Ford Touch, because it's sure. kind of the, one of the longest ones out there. It's yeah. taken the most flack. So at... As they've upgraded it, your study shows that the, the malfunctions have decreased. Yes. But has it also gotten subjectively or just easier to use, however you want to term that? They've made some updates to it, but it's really not far enough. They really need to go much further. So you'd need, you want, you'd need sort of big overhaul. It needs a big overhaul. Uh, yeah. And yet, yeah. isn't it a very popular system? I, I want to say the take rate on my Ford Touch is, is quite high. So even though there's problems, people still want to buy these things. You're absolutely right. So, I mean, if the question is, should they get rid of the system? Absolutely not, because people want those features. People want to be able to see. I mean, I do too. I use my smartphone all the time. I want to stream Pandora. I want to see the album art. I do. I want to see who the, who the artist is. The problem is, is that it, can you do it better? Can you make it easier? And you know, I, the example I always go through, and, and you look at my my Ford Touch and Lincoln does, and they're just trying to say, well, we need to explain it to people more, and we need to go to, you know, at the Lincoln dealers, we'll have a concierge, you can call one eight hundred number and ask them how to, you know, pair your phone. I go back to the iPhone. You know, anybody who's got an iPhone, you know how long that manual is. Well, the answer is a trick question. There's no manual because you don't need it. And until these systems don't need a manual, don't need anyone to explain it to them, they're not doing the interface right. Is it, but, but, and I test drive these systems periodically, although maybe not as much as, uh, as Brian or John. But it seems to me, first of all, that across the industry there's no standard. So with, with Apple, I mean, any Apple device you buy, or the million, you, know, it, you know how it's going to work, basically. Right. So there's, right. you don't have to relearn it every time. Yep. And, and, but also, it, it seems like with a smartphone stationary, you know, on your two feet, that's one kind of environment to kind of go through menus and do this and do that. Mm -hmm. At 75 mm -hmm. miles an hour on a freeway is a very different environment, and, yeah. and your ability to kind of process complicated menus and icons obviously is limited. Right. So I wonder if the issue isn't that, that you're, you're asking a lot of people. I mean, it has to be sure. really a lot simpler to be usable. I know that's not the malfunction question, but that's a usability question. Well, going to the usability, I mean, you're right. It does have to be simpler, but what we see is sometimes it's more complicated. So if I were going to... I mean, if you have a, an Android or a, uh, an iPhone, to program the nav system on that is actually far easier than just about any automotive system. So you've got automotive systems that are more complicated. So what you're fighting against is the computer in your pocket. 
So it, you're, on one, one hand, you could say, okay, abstinence. You know, I mean, you shouldn't be able to program a nav system while you're on the road. You look at a Toyota, right? They lock out the system. But what these systems are doing is they're, you're really going to do it, and they're you know, providing a condom for people, making it a little bit easier and safer because you're going to do it anyway. Because what you're up against is if you make it too complicated or you shut them down, they're just going to pull out that phone out of their pocket, and they're going to do it anyway. Right, which is what they do. Which is what? Yeah. yeah. So why are the automotive systems more complicated than the the cell phone you've got in your pocket? The cell phone manufacturers, I mean, they just have a leg up. And there's a couple of reasons for it. One, they're data connected constantly. So you want to talk about natural voice? I mean, you, you, we all know, we get in cars and it's like, navigation, take me, no, say destination. And it's like, you got to learn their language. Whereas you talk to Siri, it's like, you know, hey, take me to a closest burger place. And they're like, okay, well, here you go. Um, <clears throat> so they got one, one there too. Two, the cycle. Right? I mean, as you know, I mean, when you start building a car, you know, you're working on the system three years down the road, whereas the rate they turn over these personal electronics is just mind-boggling in how fast they, they turn them over. So I think that's part of it. And, and then because of that turnover, you've got much faster processors in these. So the hardware is better. Much better hardware. I mean, you look at what you know, an iPhone 6 or a or Galaxy uh, you know, S5 has. So the automaker to. should just spend more money and get better processors. But there's the problem, because they don't update as fast. So if you have a car, and what's the life cycle of a car versus the life cycle of a smartphone? Yeah. <laughs> Five years Six for the months car, to 11 to years. Right? A year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not, or not even. Oh, yeah. yeah. It hits the used car market at eight years, yeah. and it's going to be completely outdated. So, so the car companies yeah. will start out with a good processor, but right. several years down the road, it's, it's yesterday's news. That's exactly right. And the only way to do that is either to offboard it all, which we are seeing some I mean, CarPlay. That's going to be very, very interesting. We have CarPlay installed in one of our test cars. And um, it is very, very so impressive. So explain CarPlay just sure. quickly for anybody who is not up to speed on that. Sure. Well, CarPlay basically offboards everything onto an iPhone. If you have an iPhone, you plug in the iPhone. It's, it's an Apple operating system yes. for cars. Exactly so the car is right. basically a, a terminal. The car is basically a terminal. That's exactly yeah. right. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a dumbed-down system. So it's simpler, to get to your point. But um, it works like you're used to. If you've ever talked to Siri, you know how to use it. If you know what your musical library looks like on your iPhone, it looks the same way. Voice controls work great. It, it's, it's very, very easy to use. And that's going to be interesting. And Android is working on a similar system. So that could be a game changer for these systems. I, I thought I'd bring up sort of a big picture um, issue with the results of, of the survey this year. Lexus returns as the, yeah. as the number one um, rank, ranked brand. Toyota did, did very well. And I've heard you talk before about a difference you've observed in how Toyota brings a car to market and makes changes versus some yeah. other manufacturers. <clears throat> Can you talk about what what that what that is and what Lexus and Toyota are doing right compared with some of the domestic automakers who did not fare so well this year? Sure, sure. You look at Toyota product design, I mean, it's a very conservative approach. I mean, it's less about excitement and more about durability. So when you have a Camry, I mean, yeah, okay, they updated the 15. Well, kind of a big facelift. Even the last generation of the Camry had so many carryover components. I mean, by, really, it's, it's an eight-year-old platform. So what they do is they're very conservative. And if they are going to update something, they do one thing at a time. Okay, maybe a new transmission this year. Maybe three years we'll change a new engine. And by that, you're only concentrating on one change. You look at what Ford has done. I mean, look at the Fusion or the, uh, the Focus. 
all brand new platform, new engine, new transmission, new infotainment system, all at the same time. I mean, you're just begging for problems. Now, you have a very exciting car that's great to drive, and it's exciting. Cameras are not exciting. But, um, they but, would beg to differ, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb there and say cameras aren't exciting. <laughs> but um, but that's, that's the trade-off, and that's what Toyota has decided to do. So, are we, though, or is the industry in a, in, a, in a situation where, because of consumer pressure for the functionality for, uh, of infotainment and regulatory pressure to change the transmissions and change the bodies and change the materials. I mean, the, the new F-150s, everybody knows it's going to be made, uh, the body's going to be made out of aluminum. Mm -hmm. Moving to high-strength steels, all of this change is driven by the regulatory environment as well. Um, it, it, it seems like the industry is, is fated to struggle for some period of time with having, with, the, with balancing innovation at various levels with <coughs> you know, good scores on, on your survey. I just sort of wonder what you hear about that from them or what you think about that as you look at the, as you look at the, the field. The way you look at it is a great opportunity for differentiation. You know, I mean, you've got, we, we, we see different technologies. You know, we've got pickup trucks trying to make fuel economy. Somebody's doing it with aluminum. Somebody's doing it with diesels. I mean, I've been wanting diesels and pickup trucks since, you know, for, for years. It just seems like an obvious thing. So finally we're seeing that. So I think there's means there's more options for people. We've got an F-150 coming out with like a ridiculous amount of payload because they took the weight out of the body. That's great for consumers. That's great for buyers. You look at these infotainment systems, I mean, that's what people want. And they're differentiating these cars by that. I think all of it just means more options and, and more things for people. One of the things that struck me in the in the surveys, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the domestic automakers, if there's one thing that they normally do right and really well, it's full-size pickup trucks. Yeah. And yet the <clears throat> new Silverado and Sierra struggled a little bit in your survey this year, and so did the Ram 1500. What Can you elaborate on that and what's going on there? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, one thing they do right is full-size pickup trucks, but I think that's really about what they are and how they drive and the utility that they provide. It's not about reliability. Full-size pickup trucks have never been, you know, bulletproof in terms of reliability. I and mean, we all know the, you know, the Tacoma. You know, anybody watch Top Gear, they take a Tacoma and they throw it off a building and it still runs. You know, <laughs> um, you know, but it's 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 a, it's a terrible truck. <laughs> I don't want to drive around a Tacoma. I want to drive around a Silverado or an F-150 or Ram. They're still <clears throat> very impressive trucks to drive them. Again, the two parts of what we do, it's the reliability survey, which we're not determining that. It's, it's, it's over a million people. The way they drive, the Ram, the Silverado, and the F-150, by the looks at it, are just unbelievably impressive trucks to drive, to live with, to haul. Isn't that a uh, little bit of a disconnect <clears throat> in what you guys do yeah. in the sense that some of the vehicles that get very high quality ratings, the Mazda 6, uh, the Scion XD, the Mitsubishi Outlander, yeah, yeah. are sales-proof just about. I mean, they don't sell well. And other vehicles that are not rated well and consistently, year in and year out, I'm thinking Jeep comes to mind. Right. They can't build these things yeah. fast enough. Well, this, I mean, your examples are great. So XB, um, you know, Yaris is another one. Um, these are cars that we test, and we say don't buy these cars. They are not good cars. They're reliable. So, I mean, what we do is we try to provide the information, and hopefully we don't confuse everybody. But a car could be reliable, and just a car you don't want to drive, and you don't want to buy. A car could be a wonderful car to buy and drive, 
but it's not going to be reliable. And maybe you could forgive it for that. You know, I mean, not everybody has the same priorities that I do or you do. Jake, you're also testing more and more interesting cars. I mean, Teslas, high-performance cars. Yeah. You, you seem to be expanding into areas that traditionally consumer reports didn't pay much attention to. We're getting bored of cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, we, we are. We're trying to, I mean, our, our intention is to cover the market. And there's a lot of interesting cars in the market. And, you know, in Tesla, there's a lot of interest on that, a car like that. And in and, and reality, for someone who's in the market for a $100,000 car, it really is an option. So talk a little bit about Tesla, because because I think early on you um, were consumer reports was very high on the on the Model S, uh, as were a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Now you've had a chance to live with it a while, as have others. Um, tell tell us about Tesla's sort of longer term reliability and and what you see as perhaps their challenges. Because if anybody's managing innovation in the in, in a car, it's, yeah. it's those guys. And, and, <clears throat> and sort of, what do you see? So, so, so I'm going to complicate it even further. So there's the reliability of the Tesla, there's the way it performs, and there's also how happy are the people who buy this car. And just to give away a little bit something that will be in next month's Consumer Reports is our owner satisfaction study. And the Tesla will be the highest scorer of any vehicle. Um, 98% of the people would definitely buy it again. <laughs> so there's one level that even if you have a niggling problem or something like that, these people love love this car. And I am still, as you say, high in the Tesla. We have a, we have a, a 2013. I haven't given it up yet. <laughs> we still have it at the track. It's a wonderful car. The reliability of it, it is average. It was average last year. Not the best, not the worst. We continue to, to recommend it. The way the car tests, like nothing else. How do you recommend a car then? If, you know, like you just said, uh, the Tesla is not, maybe not the best, but not the worst, but you're recommending so, it. So rec- recommendation, we need a car that's average or better. So a Tesla is average. It's not below average. If it was below average, we wouldn't be recommending it, but it's average. And then you factor in the other things, like the fun to drive aspect of it? So that determines the test score. And the Tesla has, you know, famously a 99 test score. It's the highest score of any vehicle that we have tested. So we look at that, and then we say it's an average, and we're like, go get it. And the people who bought it, they're pretty happy they did. What, what, how do um, electric vehicles do overall in, in your study? The Leaf, the Volt? Uh, Not nearly as good. Yeah. Um, traditional electric cars, I mean, first of all, extremely limited what you could do with them when you only have a... You know, when you get to 60 miles, you're sweating, you know, um, and they're kind of fair to middling. I mean, for most people buying electric cars, I mean, unless you really know what your schedule is and you have a charging station at work, a Prius probably was a better choice. But the Tesla is a different animal. So the, so the electric cars, uh, other than Tesla, are the issues sort of qualitative things like not enough range or do you also find that they tend to be more troublesome? No, actually, electric cars, by, by and large, are very reliable. And when you kind of step back from it, you realize why. They're very simple. Yeah, there's not, not as many moving parts. Well, exactly. There's nothing exploding. There's not the moving parts. There's no fuel system, no transmission. They're fun to drive. Look, you get an instant throttle acceleration yes. or response. Yes. And, uh, I love them. I, I don't know why car makers try to sell them as good for the planet, which they are, but that's yeah. not what appeals to people. These things are fun to drive. I, I keep saying, whoever figures out how to market how fun their electric well, one cars guy, is. One guy did. His name is Elon Musk. He saw well, that from the get-go. No, but right? they're $100,000 cars. So right. I'm, yeah. I'm saying more of the, the, you know, the more affordable models. Yeah. Take the polar bears out of your advertising and show <laughs> people how fun these things so are. So you want to get see out a leaf doing a wheelie. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's a different that's a different interview. No, but I, I think you're you're on it. Jake, you, you focused in on the infotainment thing, and yeah. and I, I think it's 
of so much interest to so many people because, as you pointed out, people want this in their oh, cars. Yeah. Now let's take it to the next thing that I see coming in. All these safety items mm. that blink and buzz and mm -hmm. chirp and vibrate and lane-keeping, blind assist, forward <laughs> collision warning. Yeah. What is the, the feedback you're getting on that? You know, it, it's a shakeout going on right now. So, I mean, at one level, a lot of these things are kind of gizmos that differentiate. It's like, look at all the things, look at all the buttons I have and all the lights. But some of them really are life-saving things. Some are gimmicks. Okay, and, so what's your, give, put, put, well, the jury, give us your categories, the your list. The jury's still out on most of them, I will say. But in terms of forward collision and forward collision warning, that's a slam dunk. I that is totally. a safety Especially item. Especially with braking. When you combine Especially it with braking, that. not just the warning, but slam on the brakes Absolutely, for you. absolutely. That is a feature that's really going to save lives. Um, now, the lane departure warnings, for instance, I mean, if you're driving with them, it's just kind of like annoying you until you shut it off. Don't know how many bills that's going to save. Um, Honda, with their, their camera that's in the dashboard, so instead of a side view, you don't look at the mirror, you have it here. Um, honestly, I find that pretty annoying. It kind of works if you but have a, people love it. And well, it depends on where you are. If you're on a multi-lane highway, it works. But they could have went a little bit smarter. I go, I'm, I'm parked there at a light, and it's showing me a trash can. I'm like, I, I don't need it now. So, I mean, I think part of it is just how to perfect this, how to get the logic. So it understands I'm on a highway, or it understands that you know, I don't want to see the guy's mailbox. Yeah. No, I think you're right about it. I just had a car with lane departure warning, and, and it, it was just buzzing at right. me constantly. And, and I, if I could have found the button. <laughs> well, we find it's often a key switch. You know, you start the car, you turn off the lane departure warning. Yeah. <laughs> it's just another, yeah. another task. Autonomous driving, we're, we're getting closer and closer yeah. to that. We've got, uh, w which ties in with this lane keeping, where you can set... The cruise mm -hmm. control, probably the Mercedes S-Class yeah. is uh, the most sophisticated in that mm -hmm. regard and that literally you could go hands-free, although you have to sort of rest your hands on the steering wheel, yeah. even though you don't have to steer. You know, or, or look where you're going for that matter. What do you think the public's reaction to, to this step towards autonomy is going to be? <sighs> Honestly, I think it's either, it's, it's an all or nothing thing. Either you're going to go you're going to go full on and let the car drive for yourself. But in some ways, some of these systems are a little bit dangerous. I mean, I, I kind of affectionately call them um, texting enablers. Because it's like, what's the message there? I don't have to pay attention as much because the car might save me. Either the car takes control or you're in control. That's my opinion. Yeah. So are we past the point where you know, new cars are, are plagued with what I'm just gonna, you know, maybe I'm showing my age again, but with what I would consider to be sort of physical and mechanical defects at a, at a kind of a high rate, where you know engines are blowing up or 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 you know windows are dropping into the down in their tracks. I mean, is, are we past? <laughs> no, we're not past no, that. No, we're not past that. I mean, I think there are fewer and far you know there are fewer want, problems like that, but they're not gone. In fact, I was just I was looking through some of our uh, verbatim. Uh, texts from people with Silverados. And I couldn't really find one specific problem that's going on with the Silverados. Seems to be a lot of different things. And one of them was the side window fell on his track. <laughs> Someone that happened to a brand new person with a brand new, brand new Silverado. So they're not gone. They're still around, but they're not as big as these uh, computer issues. Have you had to change your testing with all these electronics coming into the cars? Some of the things that we've just talked about. I'd I imagine the way that you go and evaluate cars is different than it would have been 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough because 
you know, I mean, if you're just looking at things that are e easy to use, you know, I mean, basically it's a 1971 Volkswagen Beetle. You know, you got a speedometer, and I could see it. You know, so the point is that all these features are important to people. So you can say yes, you know. My Ford Touch, right? as soon as that comes out, it's like, wow, that's really complicated. I can't do these things. But you've got to give the car credit where credit is due. It does a lot of things that people want, and it, it, needs, it needs that too. What are you seeing with uh, luxury cars and, and how they're performing on, on your study? So here's the thing with the luxury cars. So we talked a little bit about infotainment systems, like second, third year, they seem to work out the bugs. Well, luxury cars have an advantage here because they've been doing this for a decade. So... You know, famously iDrive, which came out you know around a decade ago, they've worked out the bugs. They've actually improved the system, and actually the iDrive and the Audi MMI system. These are some of the most trouble-free systems out there. But they're able to buy the high-powered processors and 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 bulletproof them and quality well, control it's them. It's possible that you know it's possible that they they do that. Um, but but you look at you look at the problem is that now all of these you know it used to be luxury cars had a lot more problems because they had all these features now everything's got all the features well to your point too they learn you know because when the original iDrive came out I want to say it had 780 different functions that you could control they don't have that many anymore which right plus they everybody has added a back button so if you're lost in some screen yeah, you just hit it back yeah. to your back to the main menu so they're learning by doing this as you've pointed out yeah. the, the lot this is something that we were talking about I think off air but the logic of all of this really does seem to be pointing to you know a car that is that is upgradable and the, yeah. and, and the question is, and this is theoretical but you know why shouldn't we open open the universe up you know let us let the programmers who populate Apple's iStore, I mean, what would Absolutely. be wrong with that? And we need a real quick answer where we're down to the very end here. I, I, I think it's the, that's, that's the future. You've got to open source it and you let people write these things, and I think that's, that's where the future's going to head. Boy, that's going to take a big gulp by the car companies <laughs> to go open sourcing. But I think that you're on to something there. Jake Fisher, thanks so much for coming over today. Really interesting what you all are doing at Consumer Reports, especially with all this technology coming into cars and how that's changing everything. Also want to thank Joe White from the Wall Street Journal, Brent Snavely from the Detroit thank Free you. Press. Thank you guys for coming along here as well. And want to thank all of you for having tuned in. I hope you found this as interesting as I did. And tune in again next week for another edition of AutoLine This Week.